0: And court the eye. but this for this for on hand, they had already the garnishment had already started, they were from out of state. That ended up being 30%, but maybe that's through a different state. But to, my point is this if you have a balance due and you're losing sleep over it, one of the solutions is normally, and I won't say in all cases, but if you haven't let it go too long already. You can pretty much stop the problems in the bud, nip them in the bud by getting what's called an installment agreement. I just did that today for this client. I feel real good about it. The minimum payment to me is very low considering the balance due right now. It'll be a payment that they can easily make. And in the meantime, we will amend this return. We will list the correct total income that he should have told me about in the first place. But we will also list the correct expenditures. In other words, there's things that he must have spent to earn that much money from that many different payers. Those will be added also. So we'll not only increase the income, which the IRS has already done, but we will increase the expenses. So the total amount of tax that this taxpayers will owe, the total amount they'll owe is going to be a lot less than what the IRS is billing them for right now, But we don't care about that right now. We can't fix it without a giant payment of tax, and this couple doesn't have that much cash on hand. We've got an installment agreement in place. They're totally legal. And as long as that monthly payment gets made on time with no hiccups and no glitches, they won't get garnished. Uh, Everything will be actually be kind of okay. And in the next couple of months while these payments start, and they can afford to make those payments, we will get an amended return done to bring the total tax balance a lot lower. By that time, they'll have already made maybe two or three of these payments, and the big balance left over might not be that bad. That's the type of thing that a tax professional can help you with if you owe tax uh, back taxes. There's other alternatives to the installment agreement, but lots of times, even if you plan on doing something more serious than the installment agreement, such as, an offer in compromise where you actually try to get the IRS to reduce the amount you owe them, or if you're going to request that the penalties get tossed out because you have a good excuse of why you owed this tax, you can still start that whole process out with an installment agreement, which is smart. The installment agreement makes it to where everything just calms down. You're not going to get super nasty letters anymore. They'll still send you a letter every year showing you your balance and showing you the payments you've made. They're not going to forget about you, but that is the way to make it to where you can sleep at night and you don't have the stress of worrying about the next nasty certified letter that arrives in the mail. In fact, this particular situation was solved before, I believe it's before anyone ever received a certified letter. So that's really nipping it in the bud. Now, there is a charge. The IRS charges a fee to set up the installment agreement. I believe the fee is lower online than it is on the phone, but I didn't have a choice today. I had to get this done. Uh, This was getting too stressful for this taxpayers. My point is is that this is the type of thing a tax professional can help you with. So if you feel like you're going it alone, I would recommend you talk to someone like myself who offers free initial consultations, I'm sure other people do also. As I've said before, there's lots of good tax preparers in Chico. I consider myself one of them, and I do offer a free consultation that might be over the phone, it might be in person, depends on depending on what the needs are. But I just want to let you know that you don't have to lose sleep if you owe the IRS even a pretty large balance. There's thresholds of how large you can go with them. If you owe under twenty-five thousand, it's a lot. It's less serious. If you owe between twenty-five and fifty, it's still very doable with an agreement, but you're required to do a direct debit to your bank. They don't let you mail in payments, and they don't want to let you take a chance of being late with a payment. Once you get over fifty, it's a whole new ball game. I always, no matter what the situation is, I always make sure that any client that owes over fifty absolutely gets it under 50 so we can handle that. They have to get it under 50. If I have a client that owes 52000 I insist that they pay it down under 50 because once it's over 50, you're basically looking to be like a basically like a criminal. The big negative on that is they revoke your passport. If you owe the IRS over $50,000, and I, I can't swear by this because I don't have any clients that have ever had this happen, but I read about it. If you owe over 50... And you try to travel outside the country, you won't be able to leave. They have you pretty much locked into the U.S. because they don't want you disappearing without paying them the tax money you owe. 50 is a big, big threshold, but 25 is a big threshold too. Most people I see, they owe five, maybe they owe seven, maybe they owe four, maybe they owe 10, maybe they owe 12, but uh, it's very fixable if you could just take the time and calmly. Have somebody like me help you with getting the installment agreement set up. It's not rocket science, as they say. Of course, for somebody who's been doing taxes for almost 40 years, it's just something we do. We do this all the time. I like to start off Business Buzz with some quotes, and I picked a few interesting ones today. And I decided that my topic for the quote, since I've been telling you guys And I have been telling you lately to insure your money. In fact, today's show is all about your money. I'm not a financial planner. I don't play one on television. This is not financial advice. It's merely for entertainment purposes. But I do have a good show today that's going to protect you and protect your, quote, wealth, unquote. And you'll see what I mean by that when I dig into some of these articles. Now, the topic I picked to look at some quotes today was gold. And a lot of these quotes are, well, they're sort of the opposite. They're like, like, I'll give you an example of the opposite kind of quote that I was looking for. I got two of them right here. One's from Martin Luther. For in the true nature of things, if we rightly consider every green tree is far more glorious than if it were made of gold and silver. That's not the type of gold quote I was looking for today because I have been harping on you as a listener to buy some gold as insurance against the money risks that everything else you own pretty much has these days. So when I saw that quote, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of the opposite way. Now here's another opposite way one. This is from J.R.R. Tolkien, which is the author of The Lord of the Rings. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Well, I'm not saying Tolkien did this, but I guarantee you a lot of the people you'll hear on the news and in the government telling you not to bother with gold are hoarding plenty on their own. They just aren't telling you. I can guarantee you that. When they say it's a barbarous relic, when the head of the Federal Reserve says gold is a barbarous relic, uh, it's a one of those Ponzi shell games, and you better look under the other card because they're hoarding all the gold they can get their hands on. They're at least dealing with it. So one of the gold quotes I did was looking for that I found, this is from Hernan Cortez. Now Cortez is not Cortez is not the nicest guy. <coughs> Excuse me. And Cortez said, we Spaniards know a sickness of the heart that only gold can cure. I thought that was very interesting because, you know, if you remember the, the history of Spain in the New World, it's all about gold and slave labor and silver and plunder. So I thought that was interesting. Now, here's another quote about gold, and this one is by another, none other than Christopher Columbus who, if I'm not mistaken, is Italian, but he, but he sailed for Spain. Columbus says, but in truth, should I meet with gold or spices in great quantity, I shall remain till I collect as much as possible. And for this purpose, I am proceeding solely in quest of them. That was probably his pitch to Queen Isabella when he was looking for funding for his, uh, for his, for his ships. Now, here's another good one. This is from the Indian chief named Red Cloud. The white man has got the gold out of the land which belonged to the red man. That's very interesting because when you think about the gold rush, it's that old argument, whose land, whose land is it? It kind of reminds me of that bumper sticker when we had the gas crisis in the 70s. What's our oil doing under their sand? It's sort of similar to that. Then there's another good one from Leo Tolstoy, the author. Truth, like gold, is to be obtained not by its growth, but by washing away from it all that is not gold. I kind of like that. Because that's sort of like The Course in Miracles. The goal of The Course in Miracles, which is a book I've talked about quite a bit on Business Buzz, is to remove all the blocks to truth not to find truth or to make truth or to write truth or to invent truth. It's to remove everything that isn't truth. We'll be right back after this first break. I've got a lot more wonderful information for you. I'm going to protect you no matter whether you like it or not. Be right back. welcome back to business buzz this is harold littlejohn cpa i'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon with me maybe you're picking up children from school it's school season again. It, the traffic gets interesting between about 2.30 and 4 o'clock. And I'm sure that when you're just like when I had a younger child, when you pick them up from school, you also are taking them somewhere, usually maybe a soccer practice or a dance practice or something or other. So be careful out there. It's very, very trafficy sometimes. I wanted to follow up my quote section with some quotes from a very famous person. As you know, and if you listen to Business Buzz, I do not worship American industrialists from the 19th century, but I do like some of these quotes. So I will share them, even though, keep in mind, I have, after reading a book called, well, a few books, but after reading particularly a book that I've read a little bit here on Business Buzz from The History of the Great American Fortunes, once you read that book, you know, it's like that old expression, how do you unsee something? Once you've read things like that, you'll never look at anything the same again. And when you see these worship shows come on the History Channel or the PBS about these wonderful magnets of business who, you know, brought us into the 20th century and all this wonderful stuff, just read History of the American, Great American Fortunes by Gustavus Myers, I believe his name is. I don't have it in front of me. Myers. It was written in about 1910. Just read that book and then then talk to me about these guys. But I do like some of their quotes. It's good to be in business and to follow some patterns of people. I don't want to follow all of these people's patterns because I've read that book. But I'll follow some of their work habits because they did get awfully wealthy. Don't forget there was no income tax before 1913. They got to keep whatever they could earn. There was no labor laws, so they got to hire whoever they wanted for very, very little money. Like I say, check out History of the Great American Fortunes. It's online for free. Just type it in and read it. So I'm going to quote J.P. Morgan on a few quotes because the last one I'm going to read you directly relates to the gold quotes I was giving you before. But I like some of these other ones, so I'm going to share these with you. This is, remember, this is one big businessman. Go as far as you can see. When you get there, you'll be able to see farther. I thought that was quite profound. Here's another one I like. When you expect things to happen, strangely enough, they do happen. This is one that I've heard a long time ago. I didn't know who said it, but I'm glad to find out this according to according to Brainy quote, which is where I always look up quotes at it was JP Morgan. This is a really good one and I've heard this a lot. If you has if you have to ask how much it costs, you can't afford it. I like that. Of course, you know, coming from a billionaire when a dollar bought you you know, $100 was probably monthly earnings. So coming from a billionaire in the 1800s, I could see him being able to say that. Now here's one I really like A man generally has two reasons for doing anything, one that sounds good and the real one. Well, that was interesting. Now, I got two more. Here's another good one. Well, I don't know as I want a lawyer to tell me what I cannot do. I hire him to tell me how to do what I want to do. That's interesting. That would be a good quote for a lawyer quote section too. Now, here's the one I saved for last from J.P. Morgan because it relates to my gold quotes from a few minutes ago. Gold is money. Everything else is credit. Now, that's, a, that's interesting coming from a place where these days all these big bank heads just act like gold is meaningless and you don't want it. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Moving along, speaking of big banks... I wanted to share an article that I just uh, it just got published today on my favorite news source. It's kind of like a place that just shoots out a bunch of news stories all day long called zerohedge.com. The title caught my eye. Wealth of top 1% surpasses 100 trillion dollars, more than global D- GDP, which is gross domestic product as I've told you before and all central bank balance sheets. So I'm just going to read a little bit of this report. Uh, back in March, when looking at the latest political wave sweeping across Europe, Deutsche Bank, and that's, that's a big, giant German bank, Jim Reid wrote a report which observed that it's hard to get away from the fact that populism is currently going through an explosion in support at present, of which today's vote of no confidence of Swedish Prime Minister Lofven was just the latest example. So this was just a comment about Deutsche Bank and talking about uh, the European uh, warned that the liberal world order is in jeopardy and concluded rather ominously, as of now, the rise in populism hasn't yet destabilized markets. However, we find it difficult to get away from the fact that uncertainty levels are bound to remain high while such power brokers remain in major elections. Indeed, the unpredictability of Trump's policies is such an example, with the recent tariff threats which have subsequently escalated market concerns about a trade war being one. At a time when global central banks are moving towards an unprecedented era of tightening and dealing with years of massive asset purchases, risks from rising populist support has the ability to seriously disturb the prevailing equilibrium of the last few years and subsequently markets. Now, the point of this article, it's not really that political, but it says fast forward to today when Bank of America strategist Barnaby Martin tackles the thorny issue of ascendant populism, which he attributes to the lost decade following Lehman's collapse and what he dubs the era of hubris, a time when the richest 1% has seen its collective wealth surpass 100 trillion dollars. Martin begins by reminding us that a decade ago, the collapse of Lehman Brothers sent shockwaves through financial markets, to which the response was an unprecedented amount of central bank support, both in terms of its size and creativity. As we have observed on countless occasions with central banks as a tailwind, financial markets have outperformed real assets over the last decade. Even so, the dichotomy in many cases is staggering. And he just goes on to talk about that. Now, one thing interesting today, when you hear this word populism, it's interesting that President Trump today spoke to the U.N. General Assembly, and I happened to catch a few minutes of it before I had to leave it. it was He came on about quarter to 11 Eastern time at the U.N., so that was like quarter to eight here. And it's interesting because he started his speech mentioning that the United States is going to protect itself but it wants to have friends and partners but it's not going to be you know subject to globalist laws and things and that was sort of the that was sort of the start of his speech i wasn't able to hear the whole thing and i'm i'm not going to sit there and watch tv on that level i just want to share with you that the reason this article mentions that word about about populism is that Sweden just had a no vote, confident no vote of confidence for their prime minister? So this uh, this idea of nationalism, which is you know I don't consider it a bad thing. I guess some people do. Uh, the idea is spreading around the world, and the 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 Brexit and the Trump election were the two things that really kind of started it rolling. So it says, the wealth of the top 1% globally has surpassed $100 trillion now, a number greater than the sum of the big four central bank balance sheets, current world gross domestic product, and the cost of the 7 08 global financial crisis. So anyway, that, that was just an article I wanted to share because... What it's saying is that paper assets with all this money that the central banks have been printing, which includes our Federal Reserve, they've printed and given away all these trillions of dollars to banks, but it hasn't all trickled down to the middle class. It's mainly the wealthy have increased their wealth. That is what this article is talking about. I encourage you to read articles like that. It's not, you won't hear this on uh, mainstream media. It's unbelievable if you turn on like, CNBC if you've done that, or turn on Bloomberg, pretty much all they talk about is stocks, 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 stocks. That's all they promote. That's all they want you to buy. And the main thing is, if they're telling you to buy one thing and telling you not to buy something else, you probably might want to at least put part of your money into the thing that they say they don't think you should buy. Because I don't believe these talking heads on television are necessarily looking out for you and I's best interest here on here on main street well we're at the bottom of the hour i'm going to be back with all kinds of great information for you stay tuned i know you just can't help yourself now that we've gotten this far into it i'm harold littlejohn cpa i'll be right back after the break
2: hello this is samantha landy and I bring you Psalms of Hope, heard here on Life Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon. So do tune in and join me for beautiful music and an encouraging word from the Lord.
1: Psalms of Hope with Samantha Landy, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon, here on KKXX. Was
2: the moon formed from a donut? This is Ken Ham, CEO of the ministry behind the popular Answers Bible Curriculum. The origin of the moon is a great mystery to evolutionists. They're constantly coming up with new stories to try to explain its existence. And one of the newest ideas is that it came from an earth that was donut-shaped and it vaporized. Computer simulations showed a shape-shifting early earth. They then think chunks of debris slammed together and formed a proto-moon. Eventually, heavy silica rain helped the moon grow. Then the earth shrank and there was the moon. Because they have the wrong starting point, evolution has come to the wrong conclusions. But when we start with God's word, we know God created the moon on day four. Listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com and discover more about astronomy and cosmology when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. That newborn baby is going to need a lot of special nourishment in order to grow up healthy and strong. The same is true for those who are new in their walk with Jesus. The Bible says they need spiritual milk to nourish their souls at a critical point in their life. That's what we try to provide with the teaching and talk on our station. And when you send them your financial support, you're helping to accomplish something powerful. You're helping us get spiritual nourishment to those who vitally need it. So thanks for looking out for those newborns of all ages. Tell your friends about Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon with me. It's another nice Chico afternoon, a little warmer than I'd like, but I won't complain because summer's over and here we go. Going into another season. The next article I want to share with you is actually written five years ago in 2013, but it's very apropos. It's a subject I wanted to help you with and to educate you on. This is not financial advice. It's for entertainment purposes. I'm not a certified financial planner. And anything I tell you, you need to do your own due diligence and study the subject for yourself and make your own decisions based on your own personal situation. I happen to know you have a personal situation with income tax because pretty much everybody has to file those. That's why I recommend you call a professional like me when you have tax problems. But I'm here on Business Buzz to give you more of the other side of the story and give you a little education and entertainment hopefully at the same time. Now this article written five years ago. So some of the numbers are a little outdated, I'll update you while I read. the. The premise of this article starts with the guy being in the Philippines. He's an American writer, but uh, I'm just going to read you this article, but he's got some parallels to draw. He says, Here in provincial Philippines, things are simpler. It's common to see goats, chickens, dogs, and even cattle roaming around and crossing the street. That's because people outside of the big cities in the Philippines have very simple stores of value. No self-respecting family would live without a goat to produce dairy or to serve as eventual meat for the self-sustaining farmers. And you can't pass through one small town without seeing multiple signs for the, quote, best piglet food, end quote. As the madness on Wall Street and in the American economy continues, these simple economic principles are starting to seem pretty sound. I want to point out here that this is five years ago, and there was already seeming like madness on Wall Street, and that was only halfway through the last decade of craziness that I've been telling you about. For years, this is him speaking again. For years, I've followed Jim Rogers, who says agricultural land will be among the best investments in years to come. While you can't own land in your own name in the Philippines, the principles are still sound. It leads me to ask who really owns the stocks in your portfolio? Just last week, I spoke at an invitation-only online event about some of the issues confronting the United States and the Western world. During the presentation, I showed attendees a graph that charts the growth of the stock market all the way to 16000 with the increase in the money supply moving right along with it. You can literally see the markets move every time the Fed prints another increasingly worthless U.S. dollar. Now, that was five years ago when the Dow was at 16000 now it's at like 26000 and the, wor- the dollars are getting more worthless and worthless every day. So I'm going to continue with this article. It- this guy's name is the Nomad Capitalist. And now that the Fed has claimed it will pull back the lever on the money printing, prices of physical commodities like gold and silver have started falling. Yesterday, both gold and silver dipped as much as 3% interday. Well, I'll just pop in here and say... Nothing new there. They've been going down for the last seven years, which has been a great buying opportunity for smart business buzz listeners. Uh, You know who you are. I'll continue. All because the hacks at the Federal Reserve decided to invoke the word taper and actually mean it this time. Remember, the Federal Reserve was pumping money into the system and announcing it from about 2010 to about 2013 called QE1, 2, and 3, and then they claim to be tapering that. And as I've pointed out before on Business Buzz, I don't believe they've tapered it. I think they've just hit—they've hidden it. So I'm going ke- to keep reading. Even a top guy at the Bank of Canada said that not much will happen when the Fed starts tapering its easy money policies next year. That's because they're really not changing much. Gold isn't a huge asset here in the Philippines, but it is big in East Asia. As a contrarian entrepreneur and investor, I've been looking to add to my precious metal holdings. With silver down 60%, I believe the market has overreacted, and I'm happy to step in at these levels and see what happens. As a little aside here from Harold, gold uh, silver at this point was down 60% from the $50 high in 2011, so he's talking about buying it at $20, which is a total bargain, even five years ago. Right now it's on sale under $15 an ounce, so get yours while you still can. Not financial advice, just entertainment value. Of course, I prefer offshore gold storage through groups like Bullion Star in Singapore, where they actually store your metals in a vault as non-reportable assets. Of course, you should always do your own due diligence and use the most sensible path for you. That guy sounds like me. Do your own due diligence. I'll add an interesting feature here. As a tax preparer, if you own a, an account with cash or stocks and bonds in a foreign account, and your total foreign accounts total more than $10,000 at any one time during the previous year, you have to file a form with the IRS. Well, with the, I think it's with the Treasury Department, but it's kind of through the IRS. And you have to file a form sh- declaring your foreign money. It's interesting here that he says, and I haven't checked this out, so don't quote me on this. He's saying that if you store physical metal in a foreign vault, that's a non-reportable asset, and it doesn't count towards that $10,000 filing requirement. That's very interesting, and that's probably something I'm going to look up to see if that's still the case because I wouldn't want to lead anybody astray as a tax professional on a filing that's very important if you do have foreign, foreign bank accounts. Okay, I'm going to continue. I've traded plenty of stocks in my day. I was raised around the stock market on balmy summer days in high school when other kids were out swimming or making out with their girlfriends under a deck somewhere. I was inside watching CNBC. But just as I believe the financial media is full of it these days, I believe the Fed and Wall Street have colluded to such, to create such a fraud worth staying away from short of running your own hedge fund. Who really owns your stocks? Here's just one reason why. And I'm still reading from this article. Do you think you actually own the stocks you've bought? The simple answer is, no, you don't. In fact, the very way that equities in much of the world are held just might boggle your mind. Years ago, you'd purchase a stock and receive a stock certificate in return. If you're old enough, you may remember the way stock certificates would come in the mail. That certificate was proof that you owned the underlying stock. When you sold said stock, you merely mailed the certificate in. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission changed that law years ago. Now stocks are, of course, nothing more than digits in a computer somewhere. While people talk about stocks being merely paper assets, they're not even paper anymore. There's nothing backing them up. In fact, the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, DTCC, is the one who actually owns your stocks, not you. The DTCC runs a virtual monopoly standardizing settlements in capital markets from equities to municipal bonds to various other securities. Years ago, the DTCC was set up to alleviate all of the pesky paperwork that came about as more people flooded into the stock market and volumes soared. Today, the DTCC makes $1 billion a year handling the vast majority of transactions in the equities markets, not just in the land of the free, but in over 100 countries around the world. Oh, by land of the free, he means the U.S.? (laughs) I, I just have to add that because, well, you know why I have to add that. He means the U.S. After the SEC changed the laws to allow your broker to hold your stocks with you as their beneficiary, they changed the rules again to force brokers out of that game and to use a central nominee. Today, the stock you own is really owned by Seed and Company, and that's spelled C-E-D-E, a partner nominee of the DTCC. Of course, brokers will tell you this is just the way of making paperwork easier and that you are the ultimate beneficiary owner of your stock. But just who are you seeding your stock ownership to? Considering Seed and the DTCC own 90-some percent of all stocks in the world, the whole system creates a lot of counterparty risk. I'm going to inject here that I've talked to you about counterparty risk before. That's what J.P. Morgan meant when he said gold is money, everything else is credit. Anything but physical gold, you have counterparty risk. You have to rely on someone to fulfill their other half of the bargain that you're in. I'm going to go back to this article. Considering that the street name registration of your stocks is a company most stock market investors have never heard of, should ring some warning bells. Of course, the DTCC keeps a low profile for its own reasons, one of which could be the fact that it owned the entire subprime mortgage mess. Of course, Seed and the DTCC applaud their excellent work in keeping you twice removed from the stocks they claim you own, all which propping up ticking time bombs like CDOs. Excuse me, those are those things that blew up in 2008 and Almost caused a a worldwide depression before they started printing funny money. Yes, these are the people who really own the stocks in your portfolio. Considering how much flack these market guys give gold bugs, it's enough to make the retail gold investor cringe. Here you are getting made fun of for buying gold coins you can actually hold in your hands, all while the market manipulators hold on to your stocks, perhaps without you being any the wiser. No self-respecting Wall Street guy in a power suit would want to live out his days in provincial Philippines. But with each day that passes, the simple salt of the earth asset protection strategies used in places like this look uh, more and more sane than those in any over-regulated, manipulated financial market. And that was written by a man named Andrew Henderson. And he's a uh, tax reducer, investment strategist, global citizenship... He's some big investment dude. I've never heard of him, but the article came up today in my search when I was looking for interesting explanations for you. It's just another example of what do you really own. I've been harping on this. What do you own when you look at your bank statement? What do you own when you look at a stock statement? We're coming up on that last break of the hour. I am going to fill you in on what you're looking at When you look at your bank statement, that's the next part of the educational value of business buzz, even though it's technically not financial education, it's entertainment. And it's not financial advice as I'm not a certified financial planner. And even if I was one, I would still tell you to do your own due diligence. You have to assess what I'm saying is true by doing your own research and you have to look at your own individual situation, but I'm happy to help. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back on Business Buzz after this short break.
2: We bless Almighty God. Let us outdo one another in kindness, unselfish love, and good deeds one to another. Train up our beloved children and grandchildren in the age-old truths exemplified by the Christ. Respect and protect the lives of fellow human beings, pre-born and postborn. Our choices do affect the future blessings God can bestow on us. America, bless God. Hello, it's me, the designer jeans in the back of your closet. What happened to us? I used to summer in the Hamptons, and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Okay, maybe I never really fit you right, but I got a lot more Sunday Fundays left in me. So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff, create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a little time to spend with me today. I've got some really interesting. Information coming up for you now. This is an article from three years ago in 2015, and it is from a website called Bullion Star. There's a thing called fractional reserve banking, and it's abbreviated FRB. And the title of this article is FRB Bail-Ins, You Don't Own Your Money. Now, many times I've told you on Business Buzz, well, what is it when you look at your bank statement and you see a balance? What does that mean? I'm going to read this article here. It's not real long, but it's very informative. The account balance on your bank account is known as a demand deposit. Under our fractional reserve banking FRB system, Your deposits are used by the banks to leverage lending. What most people think of as their account balance is actually something very different. Many people mistakenly believe that their account balance shows how much they own. This is not so. Instead, it shows what the bank owes you. You merely hold a claim on cash. Knowing this will help you understand that bank deposits are actually loans. Your cash forms the foundation for a banking system that loans out, uh, in parentheses, hypothecates your account balance with the promise that they will keep some of it on hand and return all of it if you ask for it. This is called fractional reserve lending, and this is what all banks do. The legal precedent that established the foundation for fractional reserve banking was determined in an in a English UK Supreme Court, Foley versus Hill, 1848 and here's a quote from that money when paid into a bank ceases altogether to be the money of the principal it is then the money of the banker who is bound to an equivalent by paying a similar sum to that deposited with him when he is asked for it the money placed in the custody of a banker is to all intents and purposes the money of the banker to do with it as he pleases, he is guilty of no breach of trust in employing it. He is not answerable to the principal if he puts it into jeopardy. If he engages in a hazardous speculation, he is not bound to keep it or deal with it as the prosper, as the property of the principal. But he is, of course, answerable for the amount because he has contracted having received that money to repay to the principal when demanded a sum equivalent to that paid into his hands. Now do you see how convoluted that is? Do you see how bad that sounds when if your only asset is money in the bank, do you doesn't it give you a little bit of a a, a little bit of a bad feeling in your gut when you just heard that? That's a legal precedent that has not been overturned. In very clear, I'm going to continue reading. In very clear terms, when you deposit funds in a bank account, those funds are no longer yours. You become an unsecured creditor or lender to the bank. Interest payments are supposed to compensate you for the risk in lending funds to the bank, but today's interest rates being close to zero do not compensate you for that risk. The next topic on this article is called Bank Runs and Bank Holidays. Fractional reserve banking works as long as people have faith that the bank will give them back their money. When things aren't going well and when the bank is perceived as having taken too much risk, people start demanding their balances back in cash because their trust in the bank's ability to give them back their money starts to diminish. This is called a bank run and it is what banks fear most. Assume that all depositors would claim their cash at once. As the reserve ratios are below 10% for most Western banks, less than 10% of the funds would be available for withdrawals. Fun fact, a bank holiday is when a bank literally closes its doors and blocks accounts holders from withdrawing their funds. A bank holiday is often caused by a bank run and is a last resort measure to prevent the bank from going bankrupt as a major bank would rapidly deplete the bank of all its funds when set in motion. The most recent example is what happened in Cyprus in 2013, when it became clear to the Cypriot bank account holders that the Cypriot banks had liquidity problems. Isn't that a nice way to put it? Liquidity problems? I think I'll tell that to the pg and next time they send one of those giant bills. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a liquidity problem, sir. Okay, I'm going to continue. When it became clear to the Cypriot bank account holders that the Cypriot banks had liquidity problems, worried account holders started to transfer their funds to other banks and withdraw their cash. Cypriot bail in as a precedent. Why did the Cypriot bank account holders wish wish to withdraw their funds in 2013? When the liquidity problems of the banks became apparent and when it furthermore became increasingly clear that no one was going to bail out the Cypriot banks the account holders acted to try to secure their money. Instead of the banks being bailed out, the banks had to save themselves and recapitalize by confiscating and freezing part of the bank account holdings. The banks argued that this was necessary or the banks would go bankrupt with the effect that all holdings would be lost. The Cypriot ATMs were emptied within hours of the bank holiday announcement. Two weeks later, the banks reopened with strict controls on what remained in the accounts. Large withdrawals and transfers were strictly controlled. Up to 85% of account balances were converted into bank shares irredeemable for years. Now, could you imagine how scary that would be? Yeah, okay, I'm going to continue. We must understand that funds in a bank account can be easily seized. The deposit insurance structures that are set up to protect client accounts in some countries are also on a fractional system. They are thus also susceptible to bank runs. In some countries, the government itself provides insurance, which instead would mean that the government has to print money to monetize the debts. While shocking to some, the bail-in strategy is completely legal. Client account holders can only profess ignorance, which, when it comes down to it, will not be enough to protect them. Knowingly or unknowingly, account holders are investors and not savers. The event in Cyprus is and will not be an isolated event. We know this because the outline for it happening elsewhere has already been clearly stated and put in writing. The G20 seems to be preparing for a normalization of bail-ins. In Canada, a bail-in regime was announced already in the 2013 budget. This means that all bank-issued debt instruments can be used to save the banks. Demand deposits and guaranteed investment certificates are debt instruments created by the banks which they can do whatever they feel with. The Cypriot bail-in certainly looks like a test run for a larger, larger global initiative. The value of today's money is entirely dependent on the masses of people who assign it value and who continue to have confidence in the debt based system it is a self-fulfilling system fulfilling system that is so fragile that a small crack in confidence can bring down an entire bank causing a tragic loss of wealth for account holders and deposits the only way to truly own your wealth and to safely store its value is to transfer your wealth into something durable that has intrinsic value and no debt or loan attached. Precious metals. Fiat currencies are unsuitable as a store of value as they do not have any intrinsic value and have multiple counterparty claims. This is why you must own real tangible assets such as precious metals for store of value and to protect your wealth. Well, that's one of the best short articles I've personally ever read because it summarizes what I've been saying for weeks, not financial advice, but for entertainment and for education. And to get your own due diligence rolling, you guys need to start reading these types of articles. I'm just here to point you in a few correct directions. I'm not here to be your full-time tutor, but I do want to get you started on on thinking the correct way. I've just got a few minutes left on Business Buzz today. And I've, I've beaten a dead horse. Uh, last last week I told you all about the currencies that are falling. I believe Argentina, which has lost. Now remember, Venezuela is the basket case. That's the one that's lost. Um, out of every $10,000, you've lost 9999 just since the start of this year. Yes, you heard me correctly. I'm calling them dollars. They're actually called bolivars. If you live in Venezuela, and you had an account with ten thousand bolivars, you have lost nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine of those of the value of, of the value of that money. Your account balance probably still says ten thousand bolivars, but ten thousand bolivars will buy you one ten-thousandth of things at the grocery store, if there is anything at the grocery store than what it would have bought a short nine months ago. That is called hyperinflation, and that's what's happened in Venezuela. Argentina, on the other hand, is not that much of a basket case. They've only lost 50% of their value in their Argentine peso, I believe. And I believe today it had another big down day in the Argentine peso. I believe one of their finance ministers resigned or something, which I'm sure now that's another topic for discussion on Business Buzz. If you look this up, and I don't know the names of the websites that have this, but it's a very interesting topic. Since about the last year and a half since the Trump presidency started, there's been an extraordinary amount of resignations and non, non-running, non-running politicians. So there's websites that track this. Maybe I'll, I'll try to get that for you on a future show. I just don't have it with me right now. The amount of high-level resignations from government, from big companies, and the number of big politicians who aren't running currently to be reelected is absolutely out of control. It's off the charts. I'm not going to speculate why that is because the point of Business Buzz is not to scare people it's to try to educate them. And with some of the things I read, sometimes I can hardly sleep at night, but I'm not going to get into that on Business Buzz. I will say that if you want to look up some websites that talk about the number of big-time resignations lately, it's incredible. So people who jump ship, when you know, if you're a guy making $5 million a year as the chairman of some big company, would you really just quit would you really resign? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to read these people's minds. Speaking of minds, for the last few minutes, I like to back up and take it easy. So I'm going to read you part of the Miracle Business Method, my, my, little, my little book project. It should be published this fall. And uh, this little section is called Try This Tip to Free Your Mind. I decided for four hours in a confined space to try to not express any opinions. This is a great workout for your quest toward becoming more non-judgmental. One of the miracle business methods pillars is to become non-judgmental as a way to clearing your mind and making better decisions. I admit I slipped and did mention today while driving that a particular song was my favorite from a particular band. Notice that this slip-up seems like nothing. However... This exercise is not about only not expressing opinions about big topics. It emphasizes no opinions on any subject. This helps your mind stop judging all day long. As a bonus, it also removes the natural stress that opining creates. When after you have expressed your opinion, you get anxious whether someone is going to disagree with you, forcing you to defend your opinion. How ridiculous to do that all day long. But you probably do. Try this simple exercise today. It feels very freeing and allows you to clear your head and do much better decision making. My goal with the Miracle Business Method is to teach people how to make better decisions and and to acquire some peace of mind even during a busy day. One of the ways to do that is that little section I just read. stop Stop being the judge. Stop. Stop weighing in with your opinion. A real good way to stop weighing in your opinion slowly, because it's hard to do this after doing it every day of your life for your whole life. A real good way to do this is one thing that I try to profess to people that I know. Don't give an opinion unless you're asked for one. That, that alone will drop about 90% of your opinionating, because most of the time you give an opinion, nobody's asking for it. You're telling it. I'll leave you with that today on Business Buzz. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. I'm glad you had some time for me. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Join me next time for Business Buzz. Have a great week.
1: KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR
0: from townhall.com. I'm Val Dior in Dallas. Investigators say the man accused of killing
2: one police officer and wounding six others in South Carolina two weeks ago had more than 100 guns
0: in his home. Here's Tim McGuire. Richland County, South Carolina Sheriff Leon Lott says Fred Hopkins had 129 guns in his Florence home, but he used just
2: three of them during the standoff with police some two weeks ago.